to some of our new YouTube subscribers on the Locked On Blue Jays YouTube channel. So people like Ferky, uh, Michael Vickers, D. Lou, thanks for hitting that subscribe. Welcome. Glad to have some more fellow Toronto Blue Jay fans along the way for this 2023 season. And for those of you like Clark Monroe, uh, uh, Dulce Maris, uh, Jason Chung with the great comments on the regular basis, I see you and I appreciate you as well. For those of you making Locked On Blue Jays your first podcast, listen every day, a tip of the hat to you. Thank you for being along for the ride of the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays. In today's episode of Locked On Blue Jays, going to get you set as it is Alec Manoa Day. Happy Alec Manoa Day to those of you who celebrate. We'll get you set for that pitching matchup on paper. It's an epic one, and it's Philly and Toronto, so I think the 93 World Series might come up. You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily Toronto Blue Jays podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Craig Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Certainly think it's awesome that you're choosing to spend part of your day talking Toronto Blue Jay baseball with me. Getting set for this two-game, this little mini two-game series. Jays had a little mini two-gamer last year at Philly as well. I remember that. Same idea here. And this one closes out this nine-game road trip. Incredible to think that if the Blue Jays can win today and tomorrow, they'll actually finish this road trip with a winning record. You have to say incredible to think, right? Because of however the heck this thing started, whatever the heck that was a week ago this time in Boston. My goodness, okay. Yeah, even the Blue Jays, even if they get one of these next two, that would be a four and five road trip overall, but it would be a 22 and 15 start to this gauntlet opening schedule. And I would be absolutely thrilled with that, as is, Worst case scenario is is uh, what uh, twenty one and sixteen. Even that, I would have signed up for that coming into the start of the season. Every dayers will know we've talked about the schedule, the absolute gauntlet early on the first half of this uh, of the season. The schedule for the Toronto Blue Jays extremely difficult. There's another section, another really tough stretch that starts at the end of this week. We'll deep dive that on Thursday's episode. And remember now, you can watch all, you can catch all these Blue Jay games on Sirius XM. But the first two will be in Philadelphia. Again, even if they can get one of these two, that'll be a 22 and and a 15 start to the season. A season that starts with 25 of the first 37 games on the road. Not an easy way to start at all. Blue Jays, that Boston, I mean, they lost the first series on the road uh, to St. Louis. At the time, we kind of kind of just just moved on to the Kansas City series because we knew we'd beat up on Kansas City and we thought St. Louis was going to be a really good team, right? Well, okay, it turns out they've just been, I think they've won nine games since then, like holy moly. But that, so that, I guess, was was a, a blip on, on the screen. And of course, again, whatever that, that Boston four-game series was, Blue Jays overall in their franchise history, 50 and 32. They've dominated Philadelphia. That includes, of course, the 4-2 to two in the 1993 World Series. They uh, played late September in this ballpark last season. Uh, you might remember the the, uh, the Phillies won the very last game of that of that mini two gamer four three. It, it actually uh, snapped the streak. The Blue Jays had won five straight in the series. In the first game of that series, that was that um, the 18-11 game. The, the Blue Jays actually over their last twenty games have won thirteen of the last twenty in Philly. It's been it's been really good for your Toronto Blue Jays against the Philadelphia Phillies. Do you remember that eighteen eleven game last season? The glass half empty would be, we would have to point out that Tapia, Teo, Lourdes, and Bradley Jr., they combined for eight hits and seven RBIs in that game. So we know none of that is possible, you know, in this little two-game series here. 
still a lot of uh, a lot of offense for the Blue Jays still in that game, right? The Springer was great in that game. Chapman was great in that game. Uh, even the the catchers who are really struggling right now. We took a look at that yesterday, right? On Lockdown Blue Jays, Blue Jays not getting the sort of production they they were anticipating. Well, and or need out of the catcher spot so far in 2023 but we know it was awesome last season and in that 18 and 11 game uh, kirk and jansen not only did they have uh, a few a few hits each if i remember correctly but they were even getting like two out rbis which we know is the bane of the blue jays existence when they lose games offensively they they typically struggle mightily with men in scoring position especially with two outs so a lot of good memories of that game and then they, they would lose as i say the four three the next day now, of course, the most important interaction on the field between these two franchises was that 1993 World Series. We will look at, we're actually going to look a little bit more at, at that later today, but we'll, we'll deep dive some stories there for Throwback Thursday this week, of course. Uh, the biggest transaction between these two teams had to be in 2018 when the Blue Jays sent Aaron Loop to Philadelphia for Jacob Wagelsback. What's that? No? Not buying that. Or you say the Roy Halliday trade. Yes, of course. Of course. Off the field. No bigger business between these two teams than Blue Jay icon Roy Halliday being traded yeah, to the Phillies in, what, 2010. And now the uh, Roy Halliday at the time, the trade was Halliday for Kyle Drabick, Michael Taylor, and uh, Travis Darnode. Now, the Doc trade, if you take your mind's, mind's eye back to that time in Blue Jay history, it actually spanned... Uh, two regimes. You remember it was J.P. Ricciardi and his camp that had met with Halliday in the offseason and they had an open, honest conversation. And of course, the inevitable, as we knew what would what would happen there is they each discovered that each other's timeline for winning was way off. So the best thing to, you know, of, of each other, I mean, so best thing to do was to part ways and do what's right by Doc, such an icon for this franchise. So they work out that trade with Philadelphia and what's interesting for me is uh, even when J.P. Ricciardi was the one running the trade for the Blue Jays, he was insistent that Kyle Drabeck be the, the uh, centerpiece of the return assets coming back to the Toronto Blue Jays. Then Paul Beeston fires Ricciardi, gives the keys to the franchise to Alex Anthopoulos, and on Anthopoulos, ins as trade talks go on, he insists that Kyle Drabeck be the centerpiece. So, I mean, I do suppose it's possible that Anthopoulos just happened to agree that, yeah, no, that'd be my... My take on this as well, he, it, it needs to be Drabeck being the centerpiece. But I wonder if Paul Beeston had something to do there because he's the president, right? He's he's the the, the common denominator for, on in, in both regimes. So I, I always wonder about that. But, I mean, either way, you know, very safe to say ended up being a very lopsided trade, not in the Toronto Blue Jays' favor. Uh, they would trade Michael Taylor, the outfielder, to the A's uh, immediately for Brett Wallace. Brett Wallace was going to be the first baseman of the future. Brett Wallace was quickly traded to Houston for Anthony Ghost. Anthony Ghost was going to be the center fielder of the future. Short time after that, Ghost is traded to Detroit for Devin Travis, who's going to be the Blue Jays second baseman of the future. And, and really, in hindsight, looking back, the only one that had a chance to, to work out at all with any of those players was Devin Travis. He had big potential, right? Couldn't keep it together because of injuries. Uh, Brett Wallace would would play on the big, on the big league level over over parts of six different seasons. Uh, he hit uh, well, he hit just 238 in his career, just 40 home runs in his career, just a 705 career OPS. I mean, he never came close. He was supposed to be a, a really good hitting first baseman, never came close to that on on the big league level. Uh, Anthony Ghost spent uh, what uh, parts of three seasons with the Blue Jays, would steal uh, 35 sorry 34 bases in 45 attempts as a Toronto Blue Jay in those three seasons, accumulated a 1.0 war nothing to write home about right the 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 really incredible thing about anthony ghost of course is that he came back to big league baseball a few years after that as a pitcher in relief for a couple of seasons 
Now, Devin Travis, again, talk about he had probably the, the, the biggest potential. He spent parts of four seasons on the big league level with Toronto, just couldn't stay healthy. In those four seasons, he accumulated a 5.8 war. His career batting average was 274. I mean, that's not bad. A 751 OPS, it's it's not bad. It, you know, in, in 2015 and 2016, Blue Jays make the playoffs both those seasons. Devin Travis, again, couldn't stay healthy during those whole seasons. It's the same, same thing as his career, but he did hit over 300 both of those seasons. Uh, injuries would would really derail things in 2017 and 18, and 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 by the end of 2018, he he would actually be out of baseball. Uh, Travis Darnold, as we speak, in his 11th season, I really would have preferred the that he be the Blue Jay catcher. I know I'm in the I know I'm in the minority on this one. I know this because Russell Martin was so popular as a Toronto Blue Jay, but I would have preferred. I didn't want Darnold. I didn't want Syndergaard either. I didn't want any any part of that uh, R.A. Dickey trade. I thought that price tag was significantly too high. I didn't want uh, Thor going in that trade, or and I didn't want Darnold going in that trade. I would have preferred Darno to be the Blue Jay catcher and that the Blue Jays not give that five-year, $82 million huge contract to Russell Martin. And I'd rather they were going to spend that money now. Rogers was spending money at this point. I was I would have rather seen it allocated elsewhere. There was a it was on the table where the one, two, and three for the Blue Jays for years to come could have been Stroman, Sanchez, and Thor if 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 everything had worked out the, the you know to, to their potential with a lot of money to spend, but uh, it, it went a different route. In Martin's four seasons with the Blue Jays, he averaged a, a 225 batting average. I mean, Travis Arnold significantly, I mean, he's well above that. Uh, he had, uh, uh, as a Blue Jay, uh, Russell Martin had a 735 OPS. Darnold is is at least that, if not a little bit better than that as well. Now, I get that Martin was good defensively. He had more power than Darnold, certainly. I would say that as well. But but the the, the small differences there, I just don't see enough to make up for that. That Darnold could have been a, a very serviceable catcher for the Blue Jays, in my opinion, anyway. And that money could have been spent elsewhere. Now, how about the centerpiece? of the Philadelphia Phillies Toronto Blue Jay trade. How about Kyle Drabeck? From from a Blue Jay standpoint, how about Kyle Drabeck? Spent parts of five seasons on the MLB level with the Blue Jays. He totaled his his career um, uh, total is 8-15. That's his career record. His ERA was 5.27 as a Toronto Blue Jay. Remember, 5.27, that was Jose Barrios' ERA last season when it was the worst in baseball, right? Remember how much you hated Barrios' 2022? Well, that was the entire career that the Blue Jays got out of Kyle Drabeck. After the Blue Jays, in 2015 and 2016, he would pitch a four total games for the uh, three for the White Sox, one for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That was it. That was it. Uh, it, it his, his three best starts with the Toronto Blue Jays was actually a little string that he had there with, with veteran catcher Jeff Mathis, but it was it was the only time any sort of potential was really on display for Kyle Drabeck. Uh, he had other veteran catchers in there as well, uh, Jose Molina, uh, John Buck, uh, Deanna Navarro, Josh Tolley. He, uh, he, he caught with uh, – he, he was a battery uh, mate with J.P. Arecibia a lot, and they got absolutely rocked. How about the Roy Halladay aspect of this trade? Doc Halliday with the Philadelphia Phillies there for four seasons. His first two were chef's kiss, just incredible. The last two things were over. Uh, injuries uh, had, had piled up, and it was uh, the, the final two years of his career. He was a shell of himself, couldn't stay healthy. It, it was over the last two seasons. But all told, in his four seasons in Philly, 55-29, and 29, ERA just over three. The only reason it even went over three is, again, those last two seasons, he was not himself at all. Those first two seasons, my goodness. The first season he's in Philly wins to Cy Young. Second season follows it up with an encore, finishes second in Cy Young voting. 
He has the lowest walk uh, ratio in the league, the best strikeout to walk ratio in the league. He leads a typical Roy Halladay, leads Major League Baseball. Of course he did, in complete games, both of those first two seasons. I mean, my goodness, the uh, he had five shutouts over those first two seasons. I mean, uh, how far back would we have to go, really? It would be years to accumulate the you know, five shadows for the Toronto Blue Jays to accumulate it. We'd have to go back a long time, I would think. And Roy Halladay had five in those first two years with Philadelphia. He was so special. He was so good. Made five playoff starts for Philly, threw a no-hitter in the playoffs for the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, are you absolutely kidding me? Absolutely kidding me, Roy Halladay, the GOAT. A minuscule 2.37 ERA in the playoffs for Philadelphia as well. I mean, Doc did did so much in Philly, and especially again in those first two seasons, that his widow actually decided that he would go into the Baseball Hall of Fame with wearing a neutral hat because he loved his time in Toronto so much, but he loved his time in Philly as well, and he acknowledged that his time in Philly really solidified his Hall of Fame resume because uh, – being in the playoffs like that, he was on national stages. Again, no hitter in the plate. Like, are you kidding me? He absolutely kicked ass on a national stage. Everybody got to see, oh, I've heard tale of this guy, Roy Halladay. Oh, my gosh, look at this guy. Look at this repertoire. Holy moly. That was Roy Halladay. Back with more Locked On Blue Jays in just a moment as we're about to get into tonight's pitching matchup. Happy Alec Manoa Day to those of you who celebrate. And with today being Toronto Blue Jay game number 36 on the season, we'll take a look at the best player to ever wear number 36 in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. That's two-time Blue Jay, David Wells. But first, make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Great promotions every day on FanDuel. It's a safe and secure app. You get paid instantly, so there's no better place for all the playoff action in, in, in the NBA. And, of course, we know it's go time for baseball as well. No better place than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. Let's get into the pitching matchup for tonight's game. Remember, you can catch tonight's game on Sirius XM. Alec Manoa versus Aaron Nola. Now, on on paper coming into this season, you talk about dream matchup. Holy moly, on paper coming into 2023, this is ace versus ace. This is special pitcher versus special pitcher. Last season, Alec Manoa finished third in an AL Cy Young voting. Aaron Nola finished fourth in NL Cy Young voting. Like they're Both excellent, excellent pitchers. Neither one has really been recognizable so far to at least get going here in 2023. Alec Manoa, 1-2 and two on the season, 4.71 ERA. That's more than double his 2022 ERA. And everydayers will remember, we talked at the beginning of the season, that all of the projection systems, they, they all have Alec Manoa taking a step backwards this season. In fact, they all have Alec Manoa having an ERA in the fours this season. And I said, just flat out from his stuff alone, I cannot see it happening. Well, I've been very wrong about that so far as ERA in the high fours, in fact, all is not lost. I, I very much think that this is something that he can turn around. But truth be told, what have we seen? What's the eye test? Even with the numbers, what, what's the eye test tell us? He's not been near as sharp. The the neither the two seamer nor the four seamer has been anywhere close to as sharp and as 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 good with the with the uh, control and the accuracy and the slider. That once completely unhittable slider. I don't even understand what's happened to that pitch so far this season. I know there's time to write the ship. Yes, indeed. Now, Alec Manoa's ERA at home is just under eight. Holy moly. Opponents hitting 322 versus Manoa at home. So there's the glass half full of that. He has, has been much better on the road. This, of course, a road start. His ERA uh, under three on the road. Opponents hitting 230 versus Alec Manoa on the road. Now, 
it hasn't been good every time out on the road, right? In fact, remember his very last time that we saw him pitch was at Boston. He was absolutely rocked, but he was good at Kansas City. Uh, he was good at New York, battled in both those games, right? Uh, neither one was was really even Alec Manoa at his best, but really battled and pitched certainly well enough, you, you would have to say, in both of those games. Uh, I would have to say anyway. Uh, is ERA over seven in day games, but his ERA is at 2.82 in night games. So what, whatever the routine is to get himself ready for night games, it has been a lot more Alec Manoa than what we've seen. Again, there's a lot, if you're just looking on the surface, on the numbers with Manoa, there's a lot you're not going to like, but there there's some glass half full things going on here. He has done well in some road starts and he does pitch well, or he has pitched well at in his night starts. Now, one thing that definitely, um, and it's not just an Alec Manoa thing, but hey, Toronto Blue Jays offense, Dorme Vu, let's go. The last four games with Manoa on the mound, the Blue Jays are averaging two runs per game. I mean, even 2022 Alec Manoa, that wasn't going to cut it. Even 2022 Alec Manoa is going to give up two two or three runs in seven or eight innings, right? Like two runs a game for this Blue Jays offense? Let's, let's definitely go, right? This will be Manoa's first time on this mound at Citizen Bank. This will be his first time facing the Phillies anywhere on earth, in fact. Now, there are a couple of Phillies, Josh Harrison and and um, uh, Brandon Marsh, who, because of Harrison with the White Sox and, and Marsh with the Angels, uh, have faced Manoa before. Uh, they're combined one for 11 with four strikeouts. The, the matchup I'm really going to be watching is that Brandon Marsh-Alec Manoa matchup. Uh, uh, Marsh is uh, 0 for 6 with four strikeouts against Manoa. I mean, you talk about domination, right? But again, has Manoa been the Manoa we, we know and love so far this season? And worth noting, Brandon Marsh seems to be authoring a breakout season. He's been really good so far in 2023 for the Phillies. So that's a matchup definitely going to keep an eye on. For Manoa in general, his hits are up. His walks are way up. His, his walks have more than doubled, uh, again, with, with the control, right? And his strikeouts are down. And what have we seen really every time I feel like Manoa's gotten himself in trouble where that one run inning has become a three or four run inning has become a backbreaker in, in, in the course of a game. What, what have we seen every single time? Take your mind's eye back to those at bats every single time that huge moment where if he can, if he can get strike three on this batter, he can, that, that, that's a big out here. That, that that's a big moment in this game. Instead it gets uh, taken for a hit. It's always with two strikes, right? He's really struggled getting that strike three uh, so far this season. And again, in particular, I want to go back to that slider, the, the slide, batters you can see batters approach this season they can see that Manoa isn't as sharp so they're really allowing the ball they're willing to allow the ball to travel significantly more and they're shooting it in the opposite field getting big hits off Manoa that way because they're just not afraid that they have to get the bad head going because the slider is going to be so nasty or, or the two seamer is going to have some sort of movement or, or the four seamer is going to be at 96 97 so you got to get the bad going they're, they're not as as afraid of these things against 2023 Alec Manoa no time like tonight right right man mountain Manoa hey Hey, my man. Oh, no, that's Vlad. Sorry, Manoa's over here. No time like tonight, Alec, to, to, to get yourself going. The often, uh, one thing I'll say about Alec Manoa is often this time, uh, this season, I haven't liked the pitch sequence, in particular where he's gotten himself in trouble, and in particular where he's been looking for that huge strike three, that important strike three. I haven't liked the pitch call or the pitch sequence. Now, how much of that is Kirk, who has caught every single game for Manoa this season? How much of that is Manoa? How much of that is coming from the bench? I don't know enough of the inside there to know what that equation looks like, but I'm, I, I would really advocate. I mean, why not Danny Jansen catch a game for Alec Manoa? Kirk has caught every single game for Manoa this season. We, we, Manoa has been unrecognizable on, on the whole. Why not? Why not Danny Jansen? Jansen's caught him like four or five times in the past. It's always gone. Well, I don't get it. It's something it's, it's actually a move that, that I'm calling for. It's something I would like to see. 
with today being game number 36 for the Toronto Blue Jays, hopefully win number 22, right? But game number 36 on the season, thought we'd take a look at some, you know, we like to deep dive numbers around here. Thought we'd deep dive some significant number 36 in Toronto Blue Jay franchise history. Let's start with 36 being the franchise record for most home runs allowed by one pitcher in one season. That was Woody Williams. Do you remember Woody Williams? Woody Williams back in 1998 would allow 36 home runs in one season. Just didn't even lead baseball that season, if you can believe that. There are actually four pitchers who allowed more. Holy cow, 98, right? I guess the steroid era was happening, I guess, and balls were flying out left, right, and center. Uh, Woody Williams, uh, I say, do you remember him? You may because he pitched on the major league level for 15 seasons. The first six of those were with the Blue Jays. His best season ever was his, was his lone all-star season, which was in 2003 with the St. Louis Cardinals, where he would go 18-9 and nine that season. His best season as a Blue Jay was his sixth and final season with the Blue Jays. That was in 1998. He went 10-9, made 32 starts for the Blue Jays. That 98 team, that was the Tim Johnson season. If you remember him, Tim Johnson, the Blue Jays had fired Cito Gasson. They brought in Tim Johnson, brought in a, a lot of big-name candidates to to try to that that had applied for the job to be the new manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Tim Johnson ends up getting the job, and throughout the year, really conveyed message and did motivating and things like that with stories from his days in Vietnam. Come to find out he was never in Vietnam. There's a few things he lied about that being the most egregious and, and uh, distracting thing. Blue Jays originally were, were going to keep him on as the manager and he had done a very good job overall as manager, but just ultimately those sort of lies, it just became such a distraction. He would only last one season. And even though he did a good job with the 1998 Toronto Blue Jays, because of all the controversy from all the lies he had told, he'd never managed again in big league baseball. Now the best player to wear number 36 for the Toronto Blue Jays was David Wells, Boomer Wells. You remember Boomer Wells? Fan favorite for sure, easy to cheer for, quite a character on and off the field. Pitched 21 seasons in total at the big league level. I mean, is that legit? Wow. Nine teams all told, played for the Blue Jays twice, totaling eight seasons, by far the most that he pitched with, with any franchise. Over the course of his career, David Wells was a three-time All-Star, including in the year 2000 as a Toronto Blue Jay. That was his second time around with the Blue Jays, and, and it was his best, very likely the best season he ever had. That that uh, sorry, that year 2000 season, David Wells 20 and eight, led Major League Baseball with nine complete games, finished third in Cy Young voting that season. Now, David Wells was part of the 1992 World Series champion Toronto Blue Jay team. Now, he didn't pitch well in the regular season. He was 7-9. and nine. ERA was over 5. Didn't pitch well. It was, it was one of actually one of the worst regular seasons, in, regular seasons in David Wells' career. But he did pitch well in relief in the World Series for the 92 Blue Jays. Blue Jays brought him in four times in that 92 World Series. He would total a four and a third innings pitched, no runs allowed. He only allowed two base runners, had, I think, a, a three or four strikeouts in there as well. He did a really nice job for the 92 World Champions out of the bullpen. David Wells would get four playoff starts for the 1998 champion New York Yankees, and he won all four. Like he had some he had some big-time playoff moments uh, throughout his career. And that's going to wrap up. Shout-out to David Wells of Boomer Wells, right? Shout-out to Boomer Wells. That's going to wrap up Tuesday's Locked On Blue Jays episode. Catch tonight's game starting at 6.40 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM. And tune in tomorrow as we'll get you set for Kevin Gosman versus Zach Wheeler. Wow, another great pitching matchup, to, at least on paper, right, taking place tomorrow. And we'll take a look at how that Blue Jay Philly World Series played out. For now, keep it locked on the Locked On Podcast Network and check out Locked On MLB. And if you're a fantasy baseball fan like myself, check out Locked On Fantasy Baseball. 
And hello again, friends. Greg Ballard, Locked On Blue Jays, sneaking back in a little bonus content here because wanted to do some trivia today because, of course, there's a great history, right, with Blue Jays and, and Phillies. We know that. So let's do some trivia when it comes to these two teams. First question, who was the Phillies manager in that fateful, incredible 1993 World Series? And it's it's uh, it's significant because a few years later, he would actually become the Toronto Blue Jay manager. Do you remember who that was? Question number two. Which Philadelphia Philly led the 93 World Series with four home runs? Yeah, there was a six-game series. One of the Phillies had four home runs in that World Series. And a bonus to question number two, the Toronto Blue Jay that had the most home runs for the Blue Jays, uh, what, there were two players who each hit two home runs in the 93 World Series for the Toronto Blue Jays. Who were those players? And our third and final question – Blue Jays were up three games to one in the World Series. Game five was in Philly. Remember, the format was two in Toronto, three in Philly, then two back if if necessary. And Joe Carter made sure it wasn't necessary. Six and seven weren't necessary in Toronto, just six, of course. But it was game five, so it was the final game for Philly at home. They had just lost the heartbreaker 15-14. Remember that thriller? We're going to look at that thriller on the Thursday throwback, uh, Thursday uh, Blue Jay episode for sure. We're going to deep dive that 15-14 game four, one of the most incredible baseball games I've ever seen, let alone World Series, just one of the most incredible baseball games I've ever seen. And then, of course, we know the drama that took place in game six. But in between those two was a game five absolute gem by a Philadelphia Philly starter. Who was that starter? <laughs> 